Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Good day to everybody. I am uh, Nicolas Bornois of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you all to Capital Link's company presentation series. We have with us today the management of uh, Eurodry. We have uh, Mr. Aristides Peters, Chairman and CEO, and Mr. Uh, Tassos Anastasios Aslidis, the Chief Financial Officer. Uh, just a quick uh, uh, mention of a disclaimer that this is not meant to be investment advice or advice of any kind. And this presentation is not meant to uh, solicit any transaction in any securities. It is done purely for informational purposes. In terms of logistics, we will start with a brief uh, slide presentation which will be followed by a Q&A session, a live Q&A session. Uh, you are welcome to submit your questions at any time during the, uh, the session uh, through the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. And uh, Mr. Peters and Mr. Aslidis will respond to your questions after their slide presentation. And uh, in closing, this session will be available as an archive for replay upon demand later on. And uh, with this, I will uh, turn the floor. I would like to thank Mr. Aristides and uh, uh, Mr. Peters and uh, Mr. Aslidis and turn the floor over to Mr. Peters. Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, thank you very much for organizing uh, these uh, sessions. I think they are very useful to the community to understand what's happening uh, in the shipping markets. And there's so many things happening these days. So uh, thank you again for organizing them. We will try to be relatively brief in presenting the company. Uh, Tassos will go through a brief presentation, it should take about 20 minutes. And then uh, we will be available, both Tassos and I, uh, for uh, any questions that you may have. Thank you for joining us today, and uh, I hope we have some interesting questions. We're here to answer everything. Tasso, the floor is yours. Thank you, Aristides. Let me add my thanks to Nikos and Capital Link for organizing the series of this, this webinar series and inviting us. Allow me to share my screen so we can um, uh, go through some slides to facilitate our presentation. Before, before we start, Uh, let me stay for a second on this slide uh, to remind you that uh, statements will be made in this presentation. They might be considered forward-looking statements with, within the meaning of federal securities laws. Please keep that in mind as we go through and make the various points in the presentation. Let me start by giving you a very brief historical perspective of Eurodry. Most of you, I believe you already know, but still it is worth reminding that ourselves that Eurodrive was spun off from Eurosys in May of 2018, about five years ago, to be a pure drive bulk play in the, in the markets, in the public markets, by owning vessels to provide worldwide ocean-going transportation for major bulks, that is iron ore, coal and grains, and minor bulks, steel products, bauxite, alumina, fertilizers, etc. Focusing on dry bulk vessels in the middle of the size range of dry bulk carriers, from 50 to 85 
thousand dead weight tones, supermax to cancer maxes, which we believe present the most flexible segment vis-a-vis -vis employment opportunities. Eurodry currently owns about 10 vessels with an average age of about 13 and a half years and a carrying capacity of 730,000 dead weight tons. One thing that we take pride of is our long involvement in shipping, long tradition and experience in ship owning and ship management. Our former parent, Eurosys, was formed in 2005 by Aristides' family, which in turn has owned and operated vessels over three centuries, starting in 1870. Eurosys acts as the capital markets in 2005 and has been listed on NASDAQ since 2007. As I mentioned earlier, Eurodry is on NASDAQ since 2018. Aristides and myself both by now are considered veterans of the industry with 30 plus years of experience. The remaining of our management team, uh, Simos Pagliaros, our chief administrative officer, has plus 20 plus years of experience, as well as all the members of our board who hold leading positions in their respective industries have all long investment experience in shipping. We manage our vessels through two affiliated management companies, Eurobulk and Eurobulk Far East, they were founded, the first one in 2095, the second one in 2015. Both are well established and respected within the industry for their efficient and safe operating track record. We consider our group to be vertically integrated, covering all aspects of ship management and having strong relationships with charters, suppliers, bankers, and all other industry participants. Before we move and talk about the specifics of Eurodry, I would like to spend a little bit of time exploring where we stand on the dry bulk market and what are the trends we see there. Let's start by looking at this slide, which shows a couple of things. It has two lines. The blue line shows the evolution of time charter rates for a Panamax vessel, a typical workhorse of the industry, over the last 20 years. It's not a secret, the dry bulk market is a very cyclical industry, and this, and this chart makes the point abundantly clear. We have seen that there were periods like in 2003 to 2005, again in 2007 to 2008, and more recently in 2021 and 22, where we, we have seen significant spikes, I might call them, of, ch of charter rates, intermingled with periods quite long, like the last 10 years ending in 2021, where rates have been, if not depressed, quite average. <clears throat> uh, recently, right now, we have seen the market having come down from the recent highs. And in terms of the time charter rates have uh, returned to the long-term median. In terms of the spot rates, they're actually, the markets are actually below their median. The other interesting point this chart is making on which I would like to concentrate equally uh, well is the red line which shows the order book as a percent of the fleet again over the last 20 years. You can see that the order book has generally followed spikes in rates. The biggest spike in order book happened after the 2008 spike and it took the industry quite some time to absorb that. But more importantly than the historical behavior, 
I would like to concentrate on the current level of order book, which stands around a little more than 7%. And that level is near the historically lowest levels of order book observed over the last 20 years. Typically, that's a good sign uh, because it indicates a leading indicator of the markets by saying that the supply growth would be limited by historical standards, and thus any demand growth can easily create uh, rates that can increase quite a lot uh, because the supply of ships is inelastic, if one likes to use the economic terms. Let's complete our view of the current market by looking at this next slide, slide seven, where we saw the same evolution for prices. Uh, we saw here a, a new building price evolution in the red line and the second-hand price evolution for a Kamsermax, actually, tribal carrier, 10-year-old Kamsermax tribal carrier. We've seen those rates having come down following, to some extent, the, the rate drop, but not as much. Although rates dropped a lot, or more than 50%, prices have dropped, in the case of new buildings, about 20%. In the case of second-hand, um, a little more than 30%. Than 30%. And that, is that could mean two things, one of two things. Either rates would quickly recover to justify this level of prices, or the opposite, prices would have to follow the rates further down, a situation which we believe we can take advantage of and exploit investment opportunities. We'll return to that a little later on. But let's talk a little bit about the two components, the two economic factors that contribute in, in how the rates are formed, naturally demand and supply. Let's talk first about demand. This slide here, slide eight, shows a table on the top, the world economic growth, the annualized increase of the world economic growth, and tries to compare it with the increases in dry bulk trade growth over the same years. Uh, we try to plot those two lines on the chart below, and one can say that at least visually, there is quite a correlation between what happens in the world economies and what happens in terms of demand for, for dry bulk commodities to be moved by, uh, by the ocean. In 2022, we, have a, we had a slowdown of the world economies for various reasons. We'll talk a little bit about them in the next slide. But we have seen that we, we saw that the dry bulk trade has dropped following, the, following that, but it, a bit more than what was proportionally appropriate. Leading analysts in the field like Clarkson's and IMF make projections for 2023, and they expect that Although the world economic growth might slow down a bit further to 2.7% in 2023, dry bulk trade growth might recover a bit uh, and uh, register a growth of about 1.6%. That is one data point that we are going to use in making some inferences about how the market will move a few slides down. Looking at demand, we, we believe there are some developments that could act as catalysts and result in dry bulk trade returning even more quickly to a normal level and perhaps potentially even going above normal level. One, and an important one, is China. China is an important region for, bike, for dry bulk trade. 
because it, it comprises at least 30% of total drybar trade. And especially for iron ore imports, it amounts for about 70% of the overall trade. So it's a quite important region. What drives the iron ore imports in, in China? It's of course demand for steel and the steel industry. And that, and a key driver for that is the real estate sector, which accounts for about a third of the steel demand in China and whose drop has been at the core of the shipping market weakness as the sector struggled with defaults and continued COVID lockdown disruptions. The, these COVID-related uh, disruptions also affected China's exports and correspondingly demand for raw materials required to produce them. From what we understand, a series of stimulus packages are kicking in into the Chinese economy at the end of last year, beginning of this, to support the property sector. And if all this works as planned, that should lead to reviving the Chinese imports and lead to higher iron ore and overall imports. Another catalyst that we have our eyes on could be the ending of war between Ukraine and Russia. In addition to the enormous human suffering that the war, the war created, the war disrupted seaborne grain exports from Ukraine, and that definitely affected the dry bulk market. The resumption of it under certain uh, agreements that took place in, uh, later last year uh, doesn't still come close to the level of exports that were taking place before. In addition to, to that, the ending of the war would remove significant amount of economic uncertainty and geopolitical uncertainty from the world. And not only will help by reducing the energy shortages in Europe, but also will probably be the beginning of the reconstruction of Ukraine's heavily damaged infrastructure. And the relevant estimates I've seen there recently are in excess of 500 billion. So that a significant boost mainly to drive out trade. A third important catalyst uh, that we see uh, playing out potentially is the end of central banks fight to control inflation. The latest inflation readings have been uh, encouraging. The for the last three months, inflation has been coming down. If that trend continues, central banks will Will, have, will feel less pressure to, in, to keep increasing interest rates to control it, and thus improving the investment environment and uh, economic growth, as we said so earlier, uh, would lead to more drivable trade. Of course, this is a complicated issue because uh, tight labor, number, labor markets, as we have in the United States, might create new inflationary pressures. That's why it's a little, of a, a little bit of a challenge for central banks to solve that equation. Let's now move and spend one a little more time on the supply side. The main point was made earlier. We have very low order book. I would like to, sub, to provide a little more data regarding that. The top part of this relatively busy slide shows the fleet development with the blue bars and the red line there shows the annualized fleet growth. Uh, in 2023, the fleet growth for the year is projections again by Clarkson. And you can see there that the fleet growth rate goes coming down in 2022 and 2023. I think in 2023, 
the expected fleet growth by collections is around two and a half percent. The bottom right chart shows a bit more detail on the composition of the order book um, and the delivery schedule over the next two to three years. The 3.8% delivery schedule that you see there for 2023 is before subtracting any potential removals because of scrapping that could come either because fleets, uh, vessels age, but also for reasons economic or um, regulatory. The, 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 bar, the, the chart uh, on, the, on the left part of the slide shows the age distribution of the dry bulk fleet it's a rather young fleet, I have to admit, but still there is about 8% of the fleet above 20 years of age. These are ships that could be prime candidates from removal if uh, the environmental regulation that's being introduced creates some hardships in operating and also if economic conditions do not, do not improve quickly. Having made these points about supply and demand, let's summarize the uh, our view of the sector. As I mentioned earlier, it has dropped significantly compared to last year, more than 55% year on year, almost returned back to pre-pandemic levels. Spot rates are quite low, as I mentioned. The markets faced significant headwinds during the fourth quarter on the back of geopolitical uncertainties, COVID China's zero COVID policy, which was reversed, and we expect to see the results of that reversal, hopefully. Um, all of this resulted in a weak economic outlook with interest rate increases, which in turn created recessionary risk and slowdown down fears in key markets. All that environment uh, hopefully is going to reverse by returning, with, by demand rebounding a bit because it dropped more than it should, and also potentially uh, by some of our catalysts that we talked. China returning to, nor to normalcy, Ukraine-Russia war ending and interest rate increases stopping, uh, contributing all to a faster um, return of demand to normal levels. Again, on the supply side, I overemphasized it, this, but I think it's a point worth being made. We have very low order book um, and the, the risk of the order book increasing with deliveries in the near term is very minimal. There are no available slots for deliveries in 2023 for sure. In 2024, containers ship owners took most of those. Uh, and also the, there is still lack of clarity. What is the fuel of the future? And all of these have, are factors that led, uh, that, that kept the order relatively low. In addition, as I insinuated in a previous slide, introduction of emissions related measures, emission regulation related measures like the EEXI and CII could further curtail supply of ships either via increased scrapping or slower operational speeds for a portion of the fleet. So it's quite a mixed picture. Although there is a potential for a quick and significant and sustainable market recovery on the demand side um, and overall, the timing and the overall direction in the near term remain uncertain. Let's see how Eurodry now is positioned within this environment, economic environment. A quick review of our fleet. As I mentioned in the very beginning, we have a fleet of 10 vessels, 
we think of our fleet in two clusters, our modern or new building cluster, uh, which consists of vessels that we either built ourselves, three of those five vessels were built by ourselves, or our other vessels we bought that are eco vessels, um, having relatively quite low fuel consumption. And we have another cluster, our Panamax cluster, which uh, has five Panamax vessels, all built in Japan, quality vessels that have been the workhorses of the industry for so many decades. These vessels contribute significantly to our earnings uh, over the last year, and we hope that it will keep contributing in, in the following years as well. We have employed our, our fleet mostly on the spot market last year, and we enjoyed the benefits of that because the market was, for the greater part of the year, very good. Uh, now that the market is a bit depressed, that, that lower level of rates is shown in our earnings and will be shown in our earnings, I guess, in January and uh, February. But we're, because we expect the markets to recover, we have positioned our fleet to be ready to benefit from that recovery of markets. Even some of our vessels that has been, have been chartered for a longer period, like the last two, Ekaterina Xenia, our two Kamsar Maxis, the, the rates have been linked to the certain indices in the market. A quick look at our financial results for the last year. I mean, I will be very brief here. We have discussed those a couple of times before, but the first nine months of 2022, the period for which we have published results, were very good for the company. We had the revenues in excess of 55 million. We had a net income, a trip, uh, adjusted net income for common shareholders of 25 million, the third bullet point there, or $8.6 per share. We re recorded EBITDA of 36 million, and, uh, owning and operating an average of 10 and a half, 10 and a half vessels, which earn again on average about $23,000 per day, while the corresponding industry index it was about $21,000 per day for the same period, the Baltic Panamax index. So it's about 10% premium because of the size and, uh, that we earned. Uh, as I mentioned, 2023 starts from the bottom of the curve. Uh, <clears throat> currently, the BPI index is about uh, $8,300 per day, while the forward BPI index for, for the full year 23 of 2023 is about $13,750 per day, which for our vessels translates to $15,500 per day, a level that although it's lower than 2022, still is going to produce earnings for our shareholders, if realized, of course. Quick glimpses on our balance sheet. I mean, on the top part of the slide, we saw the, uh, the level of debt at the end of the year, about $82 million. That represents a leverage of 50, less than 50%. Even the scrap value of our fleet is sufficient to cover 72% of our, of our debt. So a very um, well-structured, uh, strong balance. In addition, we have about 40 million of cash as of the end of the year, or we will have about 40 million of cash. The bottom part of this slide gives you an estimate of our cash flow break even for the next 12 months. We're following, we've shown this uh, 
chart in our end presentations, I think we expect to need $12,500 roughly uh, per day over the next 12 months to cash flow break even. If the um, BPI materializes, then we have more than enough cash to fund our needs and have some earnings contribution. Let me close this brief presentation of Eurodrive by trying to address why one should be interested in Eurodrive. Three main reasons I think one should look in Eurodrive. One is a strong industry fundamentals where we have seen and I think proved that there is a rare squeeze of supply uh, being developed. This is, a, of course, not a reason specific to Eurodrive, it's for, all the Euro, it's for the sector, all the tribal companies but clearly is a very important reason where, uh, why one should look in a tribal company. Eurodrive in particular, as I mentioned, has a very strong balance and cash position that would allow us to take advantage of the current market weakness and if it continues even more so. And in addition, and even more importantly than the other two reasons, Eurodrive offers an attractive valuation. We are trading at a more than 50% discount from our NAV, uh, around $17 per share, which should be a good enough reason for someone to expect a significant appreciation of the investment. There's quite a number more reasons one should look at Eurodrive. <clears throat> we focus on a very flexible uh, segment of vessels in the drive out sector. That's the first bullet point that I show in the second cluster below. We have uh, cost-efficient and safe operations may maintain a low and predictable operating cost level, experienced management team, as I mentioned at the beginning. And also I would like to point that we're a publicly listed entity uh, and we want to think we're a platform that could provide additional options for consolidation of other vessels and fleets. And let me use that point to close the remarks and presentation of Eurosys and uh, open the floor and ourselves to answer any of your questions. So thank you for that. And uh, I'll see why, uh, how we can, let me bring the Q&A tab in front of me. Can I, Tasso, shall I? Go take, ahead. Yeah, take, take it over. Take it a little bit from here and uh, start answering the questions that I've seen that you've sent us. Uh, I, I'll read them briefly and then I'll try to answer them as best as possible. And Tassos may help me if, if I need some help or add anything. Uh, so first question is, uh, I believe you will have around 30 to 40 million in cash after the sale of the Pantelis. How do you plan on using the cash? Do you think that you will accelerate this share repurchase program given your steep discount to NAV? It's true that uh, our balance sheet has been strengthened through the sale of the Pantelis. Uh, we want to, and it's also true that we trade uh, at a very steep discount in excess of 50 to 60% over NAV. And that's why uh, the share repurchase program is there and has been used to a small extent up to now. Uh, but uh, it is being used every now and then to, to strengthen uh, the, the share price. 
one thing that we should note about Eurodry is that it is definitely a relatively small company and uh, you, you know taking shares out of the market reduces liquidity so we have to balance this very carefully uh, so some of the money that uh, we have will be used for share repurchases but also some will be used for further investments and growth because the company wants to grow, need to, needs to grow, and the time might be very soon right to buy further vessels. Uh, second question, looking forward 25 years from now, what is the most important harbor in South America and North America uh, for your firm and its products? Okay, I, I don't think things will change much. Uh, in South America, Buenos Aires and uh, the area over there uh, will continue to be a central focus for dry bulk vessels because a lot of cargo uh, goes out of there, all the grains go out of there, uh, coal, uh, iron ore uh, go out of Brazil and Argentina and they will continue to be the center, I think. And also in North America, the, the current ports uh, will continue to be the ones uh, that uh, are primarily used uh, in the future. So I don't see big, big changes there. Next question, Eurodry stock is currently trading at by far the cheapest valuation amongst all peers at a greater than 60% discount to NAV. Even as you have been actively repurchasing shares, shipping investors tend to be focused on dividend paying companies with healthy yields. Will you consider a dividend this year to address the huge valuation disconnect and attract more interest from income investors? The truth is that uh, I believe that uh, in shipping, uh, most investors, what they really care about is the asset appreciation. It's the cyclicality of the market that we try, try to take advantage of, which is buying the stock when it is low and selling it it's high. Dividends always help. Uh, and when there is a lot of visibility in the future, we do we do pay dividends. But uh, with the uncertainty in the markets, I'm not sure that we would be establishing a dividend uh, this year. Um, next question. Uh, the war in Eastern Europe will last till the end of 2027. How does this play with your firm when your factory knows a possible flare-up between China and Taiwan by summer of 2026? Thanks. Okay, this is a, a, a very pessimistic uh, uh, thought here that the attendee is expressing. Uh, obviously, if uh, we're going to have a recession in, globally uh, up till uh, 2027, this will uh, affect uh, all businesses. Uh, shipping cannot stop though, uh, and uh, trade between the countries will not stop at all. In fact, wars will create uh, more inefficiencies uh, like the ones that COVID created and the war in Eastern Europe has been creating, which can be positive for shipping. So in, in this scenario that we have a terrible uh, global markets up till 2027, shipping will be one of the star performers. I'm, I'm quite sure about that. Um, how will you balance fleet growth versus shareholder returns, purchases and dividends moving forward? 
this is indeed uh, the, the difficult uh, task that management has to face. We want to grow when uh, opportunities are there, and we feel that opportunities will be here if prices uh, drop further. So uh, we, we are waiting and hoping that uh, we will see the opportunities to, to grow the company through organic growth and vessel acquisitions. Uh, in the meantime, we know that investors want to see returns in, in addition to just uh, share price appreciation, which I think will come uh, as uh, people get more comfortable with our stock uh, and we market it a little bit better. Uh, but we will continue repurchasing stock uh, as well uh, going forward. Um, why are there more Panamax and Ultramax dry bulk ships in the order book or slide 10 compared to other types of dry bulk ships? For instance, 157 new built Panamax ships will enter the global fleet in 2023 compared to just 67 caves. Uh, indeed, the uh, Ultramax and Panamax vessels are the, you know, the, the bone line of, of, of shipping. They, they are the majority of the ships in the market. They serve many different commodities. Uh, they serve many different countries, many, many different ports. They, 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 they are really the backbone of, of shipping. And uh, thus, they are also a little bit uh, easier to trade, more charterers, more owners, more everything. So the markets perform better. Capes, uh, on the other hand, focus uh, on iron, iron ore, 90% of the cargo depend on China uh, and is, is a, a more risky business, I would say. But of course, the ships are bigger. So 67 capes is about 150 Panamaxes anyway. So that's also a big market. It's a riskier market than Panamax and Ultramax, where we tend to focus. Um, next question, are you seeing any purchase opportunities? We are looking into the market uh, at this point, uh, but uh, we still think that prices need to correct a little bit further if we are to, to purchase another ship, but uh, that, that, that's our goal. Um, do you see the company growing mainly through new builds or through buying five, 10 year old ships? I think both of these uh, both of these uh, possibilities are open to us at this point. Um, we will go either for new builds or for five to ten year old ships, depending on where we see the the, the highest values. Uh, five and ten year old ships are all quite eco ships, uh, so they, they are really ships that will be able to trade accord, uh, with the new environmental regulations that are coming in for quite some time. So they, they are a very reasonable target. Um, another question for Q1-23, will you have to book low contracts around 8K per day to keep ships employed? Slide 14 shows some contracts for $4,000 per day. Indeed, right now uh, we are at the lowest point. The market has been over very many, over quite a few years. Uh, it's normal for this time, this period in the season, to be the lowest uh, in any particular year. 
because of seasonality, it's just before the Chinese New Year, uh, and the market is always relatively softer at this time of the year than any other time of the year. So we do expect to see improvement from these very low rates that we have to fix right now. And that's why we are fixing them for very short periods, less than a month. All these $4,000 a day charters are for less than a month. Uh, and, and we do think that after the Chinese New Year, things will, will start improving. Um, other question, as you think about growing the fleet growth and current market rate and secondhand prices, what vessel type do you think offers the best investment opportunities right now? As I said, answering previous questions, uh, Ultramax and Kamsarmax vessels uh, up to 10 years old uh, seem to us the best uh, opportunities uh, at this time. Prices have still maintained, been maintained quite high, but they are correcting and which we hope we'll see a further correction to enable us to buy a couple of ships as well. If you were to acquire more vessels, how would those be financed? We always tend to finance the vessels with the equity from our balance sheet and uh, debt, debt uh, of between 50 to 60 percent of the acquisition price is uh, feasible and uh, e relatively easy to do, and this is what we'll probably do this time as well. Um, other question, isn't it much cheaper to buy your shares aggressively than to buy new used ships? Why not focus more aggressively on buybacks? The, the, the question on the buyback is, is correct. I mentioned and answered already that uh, the liquidity in the share is, is very little. As we remove shares from the market, we reduce the liquidity and the lesser liquidity results in lesser trading in the stock, which results in a lower price. So we have to balance that uh, uh, as best as we can. Um, another uh, question, thank you, Aristides Peters, for being the only owner to answer both of my questions for me and my Japanese bankers. Okay, thank you, Anonymous attendee, for thanking me. Uh, let me see one more question. Um, do you see yourself growing uh, only through organic growth or through other means? Yes, uh, we, we do see ourselves uh, as possibly growing through some kind of merger at some point. Uh, at some point, this is always very, uh, has always been an interesting thing for us. And we've done it in Eurosys where we've bought ships uh, by uh, merging with other companies or offering shares to other companies to get their ships. This is one of the advantages of being in the public markets and one of the reasons we continue to be in the public markets. Uh, despite uh, our relatively small size. Uh, but we do believe that uh, in time we will be able to grow the company into a much bigger company, not only through organic growth, but uh, through cooperation with others. Of course, we need to see our share price improve, and that's what uh, management is uh, focusing on as well. And I think I've answered all the questions that we've had. Thank you all. And uh, I think we can end here if... Yeah. Turn the floor to Nikos to...
Nico, well, do you want to make the floor? You, I'm delighted uh, not only with the content of the presentation, but you got uh, an avalanche uh, of uh, questions. And uh, I think that's uh, part of the value of this uh, exercise of giving investors a broader investor audience the opportunity to submit their questions to you directly. So thank you, uh, Aristides and uh, Tassos for being with us. Thank you for a great session. And of course, thank you to everyone who joined us uh, in this live session. As uh, a reminder, this session will be available as an archive for replay, and I'm sure you will get a lot more uh, replay uh, visits uh, of the session. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Nikos. Everybody should know that we're always available for questions and for clarifications uh, of, of our strategy and prospects. Thank you, Nikos and team, and thank you, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for attending. Thank you.